move over to the West End. So we've got two interesting play series, both sitting at 2-1 at the moment. Um, it's sort of everyone expecting it's a fait accompli that uh, Golden State and Houston will meet. But let, let me put it to you this way. If I told you one of these two, to, one of Houston or Golden State don't make the Western Conference Finals, what, what team do you think is a better chance of causing that upset, New Orleans or Utah? That's a curious question. So, if you were to say, so one of those teams is losing, who's most li- who's more likely to? Yeah, I'd say to you, to I have it on good authority. Um, Golden State and the Houston don't meet in the Western Conference Finals. So, who's your money on meeting there? Is it going to be Houston, New Orleans, or is it going to be Golden State, Utah? Believe it or not, it'd be it'd probably be Houston, New Orleans, just because of Anthony Davis. I agree. I agree. Um, and I thought if if Curry again a knee sprain, like I said, when when we knew Curry had come back from the fourth ankle and then tweaked his knee, right? He got that the MCL sprain. That's those are tricky. You could literally just one day just kind of tweak it, and he could be done. I don't mean ACL stuff, but I mean that could be out. You know, he could sprain it again and pretty much end his playoffs. So I don't I don't want to bake. I guess I guess injuries is part of baking it in, right? Houston. Houston's perfectly healthy, and Gold State is not perfectly healthy. There's a little bit of question, right? And we saw what happens, right? The, the famous, you know, when Curry's not 100%, he's a he's a liability on defense. He's still a spectacular shot maker, but he can be a liability. And and I didn't see it, right? I, I didn't see a nearly enough of game two of Golden State and New Orleans, but the bits I did see, I caught some highlights, is that New Orleans could have actually won that game, Daz. A couple possessions here, a, a shot that just goes in. Yep. They had some looks. They were, again, it was 121-116, and it was, they actually had a chance at points to, to tie. Um, had a couple chances to tie. They never tied, I don't think they ever got the lead. They were no, so they close. They kept making little runs, a little bit like they today. Did. They'd make runs yep. and then just couldn't quite get over the hump to get ahead. Um, another undersold under thing yeah. too, Clay Thompson's ice cold at the moment. So whether whether he breaks out of the funk, you'd expect he will, but he didn't. He, he has not shot well so far in this series, and that's happened in game two and game three. Yeah, he's not been on. So I, I literally, I, I have not seen the series play out, but I saw that parts of game two, and then New Orleans, you know, had the base of their celebration which was good for them, right? You'd like to see them, and they did win on their home court. You know, game three is always the easiest game for the for the underdog, um, and they blew them out. So good on them. They blew them out, and AD is super engaged, and what, we're, what's going to be more interesting, right, just it's a, almost a flip-flop of the East. The round two in the West is not interesting at all, but round one was, round one was fantastic, right? Portland versus um, New Orleans and OKC Utah. So the two series that got them here, those were phenomenally interesting series for very different reasons. Whereas, you know, round one in the East was, you know, not much to write home about except for Cleveland, Indiana. So, yeah, I think yeah I, I'm, I'm actually not, I'm not terribly compelled about, I know Utah did win an awesome, they played a great game in Houston in game two um, to win that, then probably got blown out of the building in game three. It was 70 to 40 at halftime of game three, Houston, Utah. So that's what, that's also sticking in my mind answering your question is I, I think Utah has a chance to literally lose by 40. They could lose by 40 each night or I don't see, actually don't see New Orleans getting bombed. They've got enough talent. 80s engaged. That team's, 
again, kudos to Gentry for getting that team coached up and Miritich fits so well. And boy, oh boy, has any player in the NBA raised his stock more from the beginning of the season to the end than Rajon fucking Rondo? <laughs> and that guy, honestly, Des, he, he, you've seen him play, right? He's he's been fantastic. He's been he's been a proper NBA. Uh, annoying NBA player. Right? He's been a really, really good player. Well, he's leading again. the playoffs in assists, and it's not just, they're not empty stats. Like, he is really no, they're not. developed a he rapport with, with Anthony Davis. And Drew, the pace yeah. they are playing at, Daz, is just absolutely phenomenal. And I, when yeah. I first saw this series and I saw the pace they were playing at, I thought, you, you can't play this pace against Golden State. But to be fair, and Golden State blew them out in game one, but game two, to your point, they could have won few shots here and there, you know, just a few defensive breakdowns that they had that sort of gave Warriors a little bit too big open looks. And, of course, they just ran the Warriors off the court in Game 3. I think they're a real chance to win Game 4. I don't think they're going to win the series, but I could see this going back to Oakland at 2-2 and maybe the Warriors finish them off in 6. That's what I feel like might happen in that series. With the Utah series, um, that was just a weird game, Game 3, like... The, the officiating was all... Houston's a team that relies on the way games are officiated more than any other team in the NBA. Yeah. And when it gets officiated the way that Game 3 was officiated, and, I mean, they called Gobert for the defensive three-second violation technical foul, Daz, within the first three minutes. So you knew straight yeah, away, right. Utah, this is not going to be a typical, typically... Um, officiated game and you know Donovan Mitchell was off he he had his worst game of the playoffs by a long shot Couldn't just didn't seem to have his legs under him to be honest everything was short so it wasn't just you know you, you can't put down just the officiating the 30 point deficit but once the game was clearly going to be played on Houston's terms and, and Utah couldn't really defend the way they wanted to um, I think it was it was always going to be an uphill battle and when they started missing yeah. shots they actually got it back to 15 which you know sounds like still a big a big lead but they were down 25 they got it back to 15 and then Houston just went on a ridiculous run and uh, Utah really had nothing to change what you know, in hindsight, Quinn Snyder probably should have just said to Donovan Mitchell, you don't have it tonight, have a night off. It would have been better for him not to be on the court because he was really atrocious for them. And then it's, it's hard for me to say, as he's probably my favourite player in the NBA to watch at the moment, but he was really, really poor in that game, uh, just forcing shots, not really passing, not using his teammates. And, of course, Houston running the other way as soon as they get... Um, some of those poor shots that he threw up. And just quickly, with, so with the New Orleans-Portland series, I mean, as you said, I don't think either of us were overly shocked that New Orleans won that series, but the fact that they swept Portland and really just, again, playing that fast pace, but also the fact that they just trapped Damien Lillard and Portland seemed to have no answer. Um, Lillard certainly didn't have any answer, and it was just a, it was a strange phenomenon um, that Terry Stotts. I'll be interested. I haven't sort of read what Terry Stotts has said after the series, but what what was he thinking? And maybe it was just the fact they lost their first two at home and couldn't recover. Look, I, I watched I watched three of the four games. I actually, I got way into that um, into that series, and um, I mean, I watched the entirety of those one, two, and four. And it was just New Orleans was flying around everywhere from the beginning of that series, and they just did not relent on their trapping. They did not relent on trapping Dame and CJ every single time, especially Dame. He was going to give the ball up, and Drew Holiday 
was literally as we started the all-world NBA defense and scoring on the both ends. And then him and Rondo were just fantastic. They're just phenomenal defenders when they were motivated. And again, um, success feeds success. So the more confident they got with it, the more the more they did it. And it just there was no answer. And I think the the simplistic answer I'll give to you, what, what Stotts did or didn't do, was that this was more for me a – this was a talent question. So it's the when, – when they're playing that style and it's unrelenting, and this is the nature. Dame, Dame's only, what, 6'2", six, 6'3", six, right? So he's not a 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, guard who can get that ball up and get it out early. And he's trapped. He's trapped. It's not going very far. He's not going to whiz it past – that's where I give – you do give a lot of credit to James Harden, right, is he's, he's big. He can whip that ball around and get it over people. Dane can't. So these are, you know, these are little bounce passes to the wing. You know, these are sometimes sideways passes just to get get the ball out and moving. Where that ball goes to is Mo Harkless and Al Farouk Aminu and Evan Bleep and Turno and Pat Connaughton. The, the ball's then going into the hands of secondary playmakers. And their secondary playmakers are their three and D guys or their, you know, guys here maybe okay like, you know, slashing to the basket. Or, you know, f- f- um, Aminu in, every now and again can get hot and, and drain some spot-up threes, but they are not playmakers, and there was no answer. So that's what, that for me, the roster construction issue is probably is more than an X's and O issue against Terry Stotts. It's like, what is he supposed to do? If Dame and CJ, that entire thing is engineered for Dame to make plays and CJ to play off of it, when that's broken, there's nothing there. And so kudos to New Orleans for having the, the game plan to do it, to pull it off, the relentlessness, because they were pretty close games as well, though these weren't like blowouts. Um, the relentlessness to stick with it and pull it off was, was really, really impressive. So that's what yeah, I took to, away from it. Just to that point, the, the, so the series stats for um, Portland, they had 58 turnovers and 76 assists. So and Lillard on his own had sixteen turnovers, only nineteen assists. So that that tells you the story. One to one, how yeah, much yeah. they got in his head. And Drew Holiday has been just spectacular on the defensive end, right through the plus. He guarded Kevin Durant on multiple possessions in Game Three, and actually did a really good job. Like you thought, Kevin Durant's going to just have his way here, and it's like no, like even in even in the post, Holiday's doing a good job on him. So he, I never rated him, or I guess I never saw him as this really good defensive stopper as a guard um, until we really watch him a bit more closely, I guess, this season and particularly in this playoffs. Uh, but he's earning that contract, as He's earning every cent of it. Who'd, uh, almost like, who'd, who'd have thought, right? So uh, you, you love when a guy does this and just basically doubts every naysayer. You and I hated it. Bill Simmons hated it. Uh, the dunked boys, Duncan Danny, hated that contract. You know, some hated it more than others, but some it was between the, the, the sentiment was, well, what choice did they have, and we hate it. Right? That was effectively the spectrum of opinions about Drew Holiday. None of us saw this coming, and good on him. Right? Good on him. He's been an de- absolute delight to watch play NBA playoff basketball. Yep. So we'll, we'll, we'll be watching that. So now, just quickly on Portland, the last point there, so... People have been saying, well, they need to blow it up. They need to to go and yeah, make big changes to this roster. Maybe they look at Terry Stotts as well. I'm not sure. I mean, what's your sense? My sort of sense is, look, they finished third 
in the Western Conference. They had a very good regular season. I just I don't like this overreaction to what happens in one playoff series. I mean, you can have two bad games. Momentum goes against you in the playoffs. And the middle, they lost the first game close. That was a game they certainly could have won. You know, again, like like Milwaukee, like Philly. You know, you win one game and everything can change. I wouldn't be making, I wouldn't be overreacting to that that exit from the plus. But what's your sort of sense about what Portland should do from here? Well, it all goes back to um, where I always begin with that question: is who's the ownership? Uh, what is the so who's the ownership and what's their expectation? What is the fan base expectation? And then from a founder office strategy, is they know they have a pretty clear basketball philosophy and how well does the roster fit that philosophy? Then in down the next layer, does that how well is that roster constructed? What's their salary cap like? And what are their options, I guess? Then looking at the future, what's their, you know, what assets they have, you know, draft picks, et cetera. And you stack it all up, right? You've got a, a very high expectation fan base. Um, you've got a pretty deep pockets owner um, who would support, you know, and, and does support a really big, I don't have it in front of me, they got a pretty big team salary. And um, so you got stable ownership and a stable fan base, right? They go, tick, okay, that will probably... You know, allow you some flexibility, but the the the, the thing that's going to hold them back, right, is they just have no roster flexibility. They had a lot of pretty ordinary contracts on that team, from you know Myers Leonard and, and and Evan Turner and Mo Harkless and you know the rest of it. Just these are not great contracts. So they've overpaid for a lot of role players, and as as we saw then on the court, when a pretty simple trapping, a defensive trap in the first round as a pretty f- simple defensive strategy completely unwinds a three seed. You better go ask some serious questions, right? Uh, roster and otherwise. So that's a, that's my that's the context for me to this to the question that everyone wants to ask is do you do you split up McCollum and Lillard, and uh, do you split up McCollum and Lillard? <laughs> Well, that is the question because I mean, if you if you're going to say let's blow it up, that that's that's not, where you have to that's where it starts and ends. I mean, you're not going to. The problem is they don't have any other tools, right? The, the, what they could do is shuffle the chairs, you shuffle the chairs and trade some bad contracts for other sort of you know salary swaps that perhaps get other players that fit better. But you know who's giving up players that fit better? You, know, you could trade Myers Leonard. And more heartless, but who you're getting back is John Henson and you know Della Vadova. This is you're the getting... thing too, Daz. Is it the worst thing in the world to say while Dame Lillard's here, while he's in his prime, we're going to be a three and four seed? Our best case scenario is probably we're going to, we might get to the Western Conference Finals. We're probably going to flame out in the second round, and that's where, the way it's going to be. Or yeah, because if you, well, if you go the other way and blow it up, well, okay, you're going to try and get a good draft pick? I mean, what's the point of that? Well, that's, um, that's exactly where I'm going is where Houston last year had said, guess what? We've got the temperament, we have the assets, and we have the risk tolerance. We've got the, we got the risk taking in us to say we're not going to let the 73-9 team just make it to the NBA Finals without, without going for it. We're not going to let them just win, go to the Finals every single year for the next few years. We're going to do this dramatic, dramatic roster overhaul. And they did, but, but they had, you know, as, they had Pat Beverly's and Sam Decker's and Montrez Harrell's, you know, players like that to move who are, you know, their assets mm. where you had Pat Connaughton and Evan Turner and Mo Harkless and, 
you know, Myers Leonard, those are not attractive assets to anybody unless their salary spot. So that's what I'm saying. The roster overhaul team building option is not an option for, for that's Portland. Right. Their only sh- option is to break up McCollum and Lillard. Yeah, and I'm not, that's probably not, I'm probably not, I'd almost rather not have that impromptu. <laughs> so I wasn't ready to answer that question tonight. That's a hard one because I think if you look at, I'd never, so the first part of that question is I would never trade Dame. So that for me, it's off the table. You don't trade the heart and the, and, and the soul and, and the face. You just don't do that. So if you're going to entertain it, I would begin that conversation by you have to look at McCollum as the guy you move. Uh, I also think McCollum's probably a little more attractive, believe it or not, in that he's a little bit younger and, you know, he's, he's, a, he's the deadlier shooter. So I think he would be rather attractive. So you start to fear, you start to theorize fits then, you know, theorize fit next to, next to Dame. And then you go, imagine theorizing that fit. And then you ask yourself, does that team, does that actually get you better? Is it, are you actually better? Are you better than the three seed now that you've lost CJ McCollum, a career nearly 40% three point shooter for someone who might, might be as good as him. Is he? Is like who do you get for that? Well, this like, is how a trade get... I heard thrown out. For example, CJ McCollum for Harrison Barnes. Well, you can't certainly do that straight up. That's a that's crazy. CJ's worth far more than than Harrison Barnes. But if those are the those are the foundation that's pieces. That's the foundation then, talk... pieces. Yeah, yeah. I think that's I think that's a massive undersell on CJ's part. So that's where I'm going. Is if you go like for like, you go okay. Well. CJ makes a lot of money. Is this a CJ for Andrew Wiggins thing to try and get the most out of him? If you want, if you don't, because by acknowledging you're going to break it up, that means you're saying we do not want a six foot four two guard who shoots thirty percent from three. That's what we do not want. We want someone who has a different skill set. Who is what type of skill set? Then are you looking for? Are you looking for a big, or are you looking for a wing? Right. So I go, if you're looking for a wing, all right, you've got six other wings. They all suck. Then you have all kinds of you know positional redundancy. So I go, you're looking for a big. All right, now, now you maybe got my attention. Maybe you've got yourself. I'm actually I'm not sold on Nurkic. He didn't have a great season. Nurkic is an asset. You can, I think Nurkic is an asset of some sort. Um, do some sort of inside-out kind of game. And so, what could you get? Could you get an ACL torn Porzingis? You know, for CJ McCollum, would New York trade do something like that? No, I don't think so. Would you? Could you? I don't think so. Could what if Boogie resigns with, you know, with New Orleans? Could you get Boogie for CJ? You know, inside out. So you go. I, I just looked. I think that list of potential fits is pretty as attractive as CJ would be. It's hard to make that work. Where you then say, "Yep, we are really confident. We're better after trading him." Because you're more likely to do the two for one sorts of things, or your three for three. Yeah, you get some right? future then, assets for him, um, right? Then you then you go. Then you basically you're just basically selling Dame down the river, mm, right? Then exactly you basically right. Get, you're relegating yourself to a forty win team or a thirty seven win team. So I'll never be bad enough with Dame to get really good draft picks. So that is not an easy question. I think it's quite lazy for the blow it up crowd. Now there's other teams like so. I guess Washington's in a similar boat. Um, I guess you'd say, right, a, a team who should be performing better than they have been, um, but don't have tons of roster flexibility. They're kind of stuck. So 
maybe yeah, they do on. something like do you trade you know CJ for uh, you know you got Beals that's not a that's not that's not even a theoretical no, that's right no well look I think at the end of the day uh, you're looking at uh, if if you're going to trade CJ McCollum the the most likely outcome is you're going to be getting back future assets. And as you say, that's selling Dame down the river. That's not maximising the talent. Look, the best you can do is just maximise the talent of your, that your roster that you have. And sometimes that, if, the, if that happens to be a three or four seed, then that's fine. I mean, where you don't want to be is sort of in that seven, eight, nine, ten range where you're just stuck in the middle and you're not, you're not good enough you're not bad enough to get a good draft pick. You're not good enough to even make any sort of a playoff run. So I wouldn't be panicking yet. I think the story of this series for Portland was, as well as the sort of trapping of, of Dame and the fact that they didn't cope with that, there was just too many players just not ready for prime time. I mean, Zach Collins was terrible. Collinson was terrible. Evan Turner was terrible. Mo Harkless got hurt early in the series, which sort of did. And, and I think he even the game he played, he was he was playing hurt, and he was an important part. Of their uh, of their roster this year, so I, I wouldn't be panicking if I'm Portland. I hope they don't. I like watching CJ and Dame together, but I understand the questions that need to be asked if they do feel like they can take the next step. But I guess um, we'll look closer at what opportunities may be available. Yeah. From there, so quickly yeah. on the so the Warriors, uh, New Orleans. You, you obviously think the Warriors though. Uh, Warriors in in five from here. Do you think or or six? I'm I'm going Warriors in six. Yeah, I, th- I think it's going to be five. I think New Orleans had their party um, last game. I think you'll see. I think Clay will, at some point, you know, come off the schneid here. And I think once, I think Golden State would like to end this series early now. I think there was a little bit of, you know, theorizing that they lost. Right? The, did they lose that game against um, San Antonio <laughs> to give give Steph an extra four days or wherever it was? You, you know, to, you. Uh, I think you you hinted it, not not me. <laughs> <laughs> you put that thought in my head. No, I think they want to close it out for the same for different for the same reason, right? So I think they want to close this out. So I think you're going to see a highly motivated um, game four from from Golden State. So I think they'll they'll take it in five. Is my is my view? But yeah, I think it's been yeah. Good, I, it also, um, it wouldn't floor, it wouldn't floor me if New Orleans does you know win game four, then it goes to six. But it, even if that's the case, right? I think this can we would close the close the books on New Orleans and saying this has been a really successful year in spite of the fact of Boogie's injury. Um, it's, I think Boogie had his moments. I think they were figuring some things out. I believe both of them. And I think that starting to pass the eye test, I don't love the fact that they've had to put Boogie out there at the Brooke Lopez, you know, just shoot threes stuff. I don't love that. Um, and as much as Anthony Davis resists the notion He's the fucking spectacular five. I know he doesn't want to do that for 82 games, but he's a scintillating five next to a stretch like like Miritich. They can exit rebounds pretty well, especially when you've got guards like like Drew and Rondo who can rebound. That actually works all right. So it's been a huge. Wouldn't you agree? Gentry's proven his medal with this coaching. Yeah, that no, got I some think decent- you can see the fit for Boogie now. I think there's going to be a lot more staggering of minutes between Boogie and, and AD, and they can probably do that given that Boogie's going to obviously be coming back from the injury. And he's not going to be a 40-minute or a 30-minute-a-night guy. They might just say, look, we're happy to play him 20, 25 minutes now. What sort of contract he's going to be on to be getting those yeah, minutes, I'm not yeah. sure. That's going to be the big question, you know, how much risk are they going to take on with that contract? But I can certainly see... 
um, Cousins playing a really uh, integral role in what they're able to do because Miritich has been a really nice pickup as well. So it's been a nice comeback year for Del Demps um, from a GM Agreed. point of view, yep. which maybe gives the Wizards hope, Daz, that, that uh, Grunfeld can do the same um, in coming years. Just, <laughs> I don't know if you want to touch on that again, but just no, quickly with the Warriors, I think it's been a perfect uh, preparation for them, if, 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 assuming they're moving Houston in the next round, because they've met a very elite defensive team in the first round. The Spurs, for all their offensive struggles, which wasn't a surprise to anyone, they still defended the Warriors as well as anyone does. The, the defense, and, and Steve Kerr said that after the series, like they made the Warriors work for every bucket in that series. And then you now you've gone from playing a really good defensive team to playing an elite offensive team. And they're making the Warriors work their ass off on the defensive end. Now, Houston, they're going to make you work on, on both ends. Houston are set up perfectly, I think, to with their switching style to defend Golden State. And obviously, Houston are difficult um, to defend against as well. Although, I think Golden State are probably better suited to defend Houston than vice versa. Uh, so, But I like I liked the preparation that the Golden State have had. And they've certainly we t- we talked about the on-off switch. That was that was the only hope I had as a Spurs fan in the round one. Would Golden State come out and be at all complacent? And they there was there was not a hint of complacency uh, in what Golden State did. And even Game Three, which was obviously shrouded in the in sadness of, of Greg Popovich's wife Erin passing away right before the day before tip-off, and I was just impressed with the Warriors. They went out there just utterly professional didn't get caught up in the emotion of it, just went through and did what they needed to do and got a, what in the end was a pretty you know, easy victory because I think only half of Spurs were sort of engaged in the game, to be honest, um, from what I saw. And then, you know, the Spurs got their obligatory win in Game 4 and, and the Warriors closed down in actually a pretty close Game 5, actually. The, War, the, the Spurs came back and made a game of that in Game 5, but they made the Warriors work for it. I think, I think the Warriors will appreciate that down the track that they were made to work, particularly on the offensive end that you pass a pretty good defense. Yeah, I'm, that's a good summary. I don't have anything really to add to that first round for Golden State. and I I haven't tuned in very closely here to Golden State, New Orleans yet. I'm probably, just for the just for the sake of time, I'm probably going to, I will if New Orleans wins another one, then you'll get my attention very, very keenly. But I think uh, until I see a game, a second game won by either Utah or Houston, this Round two is just not terribly interesting for me in the West, whereas round two in the East is just must-see TV, even though both of those are 3 nothing, I can't wait. You have to see both both of those games, right? So it's interesting how we've had. Yeah. Yeah, it's been a much more interesting playoffs start to finish, hasn't it, so far? So Oh, there's no doubt. Yeah. So just quickly, so to touch on the, the Utah-Houston series, as you say, that's 2-1. I expect that, that, that was a, a very good game, too. There's a great dunk that Donovan Mitchell did in that game that you have to catch if you haven't seen it already. Um, and, and Joe Ingalls had a great moment. Dante Exum, uh, the other Australian on the, on the Utah roster, had a fantastic game uh, in game two. Just He defended James Harden for 22 possessions and Harden scored two points on those <laughs> possessions. It was just a fantastic... And, and offensively, he played really well also. So it was great to see him have a moment, given all the injuries. But obviously, the big story for Utah was round one. 
and taking out um, OKC. And I said Portland shouldn't panic in the off-season. I think OKC will be panicking because I can't see them coming back with the same roster. But uh, that was a spectacular series, Daz. And particularly Game 6 when you had Russ and um, Donovan Mitchell go head-to-head. And that would just it blew me away, Donovan Mitchell. I mean, the, the balls on this rookie to go head-to-head with the MVP, given the, the, the mode that Russ was in, um, there's not too many players that are going to go head-to-head with him like that. And he was defending. He was the primary defender on Russ at one end and scoring at the other. It was quite unbelievable, that performance in Game 6. Yeah, that was a that was a very entertaining series for a, for a whole bunch of different reasons. Um, I, I mean, just, just the, the storylines about Mitchell, the way he came to play, everything about Russ... You know, Russ goes in in about whatever ninety six hours. He had the the best of Russ. Was it game four? A game five. There was a game game five. So Utah was up by twenty five, and then yep. Russ just said, "Yeah, that's no problem." And he wiped basically almost single handedly wipes out a twenty five point <laughs> second half lead. And he go, oh, "That's okay. That's pretty cool." And then the elimination game, right, was. Uh, yeah, he shot the ball 43 times, and Paul George went two for 16. And Carmelo Anthony, after the game, admitted that he's been a terrible fit all season, been asked to play a role he's not very good at. And that team is basically came unglued in Game 6. He almost saw the whole franchise. You could just see the potential for that to get really, really messy. I think that's – so, yeah, so yeah, good on Utah. That was a tough, greedy series. It's not a, not easy to eliminate Russ and Paul George and Stephen Adams, who had a pretty ordinary um, first round, to be honest. Um, oh, Adams was good reason. in Game 6, but, uh, yeah, he wasn't. He was just asked to do too much healthy, in Game 6. Yeah. I wonder. I wonder. Yeah, he, um, something wasn't wasn't right. But I think perhaps some of the what what's not right there is just, you know, the psychological bits and the and the lack of team unity that I think we certainly heard heard all about. So. Well, quickly on Mitchell. Mitchell averaged 28 points, 7 rebounds, 2.7 assists, and 1.5 steals, even 0.7 blocks in that first round. I mean, are you reevaluating what the ceiling is of this guy? Because I, I we are witnessing a yes. superstar to me. Like, And I don't know how good this guy is going to be, but he has the potential to be top 10 player ever in my view like so he, he, he's <laughs> top 10 ever yeah all depot top 10 now and mitchell top 10 ever well, is it, i was like, gonna i was gonna have say we ever seen a rookie we've not seen like when you're talking about him what he's done as a rookie you're talking about michael jordan wilt chamberlain like not even lebron was doing this as a rookie like you are talking the best of the best as that that's where i i sort of i'm starting to project this guy that's how good I think he can be. Look, it's pretty rare, right? That so yes, he's a spectacular talent, uh, and he did all this right. He only played like thirty-three minutes a game this year as well, thirty-two minutes, something like that. So he's not been playing, you know, the big superstar minutes. He's an absolute genuine rookie. So he's got the athleticism, he's got the three-point shot, he's got the temperament, he's got that beautiful. And it's I say the word specifically beautiful. It's beautiful to watch the serenity on his face when. He can change gears and change speeds and lure you in, you know, draw a defender close and blow by him or, you know, get going downhill and go around him or the putback dunk athleticism and the courage to take some crazy shots. Now he's, and he'll learn to rein in some of these 
He takes some stupid shots, right? He does. He forces some crap. Um, and he did in college as well. That was a bit of his MO. But, yeah, you can you can see the makings of a, I guess he means 20 points as a rookie. He could, this guy could score 30 points a game. And he's got, I don't see, and I guess I don't see why not. But the point I was going to make before I also just piled onto his accolades was it's pretty rare, pretty, pretty, pretty rare for a player to get drafted into the right kind of culture at the right time with the right role on a playoff team with a stable unit who you can get all this playing time around a, you know, a, a really strong playoff team. It's pretty, pretty unusual, right? So the best players are by definition drafted by all these shitty teams mm. and you're putting up empty stats in Phoenix or Orlando or, or Philadelphia or, or whatever it is. Right. So it's pretty unusual. So it's hard for me to go, you wonder how cl- might he actually be closer to his ceiling than most rookies only because it's so unusual to have a system so perfectly custom made and made around this guy's skill set. So um, that's not any way to take away from him. I'm probably just a little bit, little bit more pumping the brakes on the, you know, the, the greatest ever type projections. Um, <laughs> no, I'm happy to be. I know, I know it's. Right. Yeah, I, 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 but I know what you're saying. It's it's historic. It is historic. Very rare for twenty point put twenty points per game as a rookie, let alone then again increasing your productivity in the playoffs. That's pretty crazy. Rookie wall, right? Just rookie. What rookie wall? Right? There's least like Nietzsche played. He played thirty five games at Louisville. Thirty five college games in six months, and now he's going to play. He played 79 regular season games, so he's probably you know pushing his 90th game. Well, he nearly it's, averaged it's 40 amazing. minutes a game in the in the OKC. It's amazing. So, but it's he amazing. might have hit the rookie wall of game three. So we'll wait and see what. But he that's, seren- that's serenity. That's so I, I tend to buy into the hype, just the serenity on his face. It just it just doesn't. The game doesn't seem to phase him. So I go, boy, it's his game is so similar to. Um, uh, to Oladipo as well, isn't it? Really, they're very, very similar styles. Mm. Like Donovan, a little bit more of a ball handler, point guard, initiator, and you know, Vic probably has a little bit more thickness, a little more defensive ruggedness upside to him, but very similar, right? So I kind of go, "There's your projection for next year." Is mm. you know, twenty twenty eighteen Oladipo will be twenty nineteen Mitchell. It's like no reason he couldn't average twenty two, twenty three points a game next year, up his rebounding a bit. So yeah. um, it's yeah. been he's been a, he's been a joy, been a joy. Well, a couple of final points. So we'll quickly touch on the Houston Minnesota series. Not much to talk about there. That went pretty much as as per planned. Uh, Andrew Wiggins had I think one good game. The rest of them were just up and down, completely expectable, as expected. That series, I think, um, the way it went, and obviously we'll have the same questions heading into next season for Minnesota that we had for most of this year. I guess the only asterisk I'll put on Minnesota, if Jimmy Butler doesn't get hurt, they're obviously a higher seed, and maybe they make a bit further playoff run um, than running into Houston in the first round, because that obviously dropped them down to that eight seed. Um, I don't, I, do you have anything to add on that series, Daz? Did you actually catch any of those games? They, they weren't the most uh, intriguing of games. I watched um, I watched the elimination game start to finish. That one I was watching pretty keenly. Um, and I, you could see my I, I made a whole bunch of notes there where it was just Tibbs' defensive rotations were crazy. So I didn't like how Tibbs, you know, 
approach defense in that final game. Um, I saw against probably more. I didn't learn anything about Houston, full stop. Capella had like 20 dunks one game. Um, so I didn't learn anything about Houston. I learned a lot about Minnesota, though. Or maybe it's more validation that Andrew Wiggins is a is a wallflower. I think my, you know, I think you, as you hinted, he had a couple of games where he scored 14 points in 37 minutes, and you know, 14 points, four rebounds, two assists, and then 14 points, four rebounds, and zero assists. You know, in back-to-back games. And well, in fairness to Wiggins, I mean, if you look at his series stats, they pretty much mirror what Jimmy Butler. I mean, he's a little bit down in rebounds. He's down on assists, but he averaged the same points as Jimmy Butler, uh, playing a little bit, a touch fewer minutes, and only 0.8 rebounds less. So, but I think the difference is when Wiggins Wiggins had, I think, two good games in this series and two games where he just completely no-showed, whereas Butler was just consistently at the same level all series and probably yeah. wasn't 100% either, having just come back from injury. We're going to keep picking on it because Butler's earned it and Butler's proved it and he's been there and done that. But you just you can't have your guy who's about to start the beginning of a $150 million contract playing like this. You can't. And Andrew Wiggins could be the anchor that drags this team down, right? And Carl Anthony Towns as well probably took a step backwards. He didn't. He didn't particularly step up and do anything, you know, to tell us that he's you know taking a. And he's a guy who sort of flatlined the whole year. Is Carl Anthony Towns? You know, he's he was good, but has he done anything to get markedly better? I don't know. So you just granted Houston's a pretty impressive offensive team, right? But I just didn't like how how Minnesota had no answers for anything. They didn't make Houston do anything out of their comfort zone. So I just don't like that they just didn't have they didn't have weapons. They didn't have an approach. They didn't have they didn't really bring anything. So. Another another interesting off season for them. They don't have the contractual questions of say the, you know, some of these other teams. They, their team's pretty much locked in. You know, Jimmy's under contract for one more year, um, so we'll see. It was a, well, they'll listen, come back not, with the same team. You can't help but think that Ricky Rubio is a better fit on this team than Jeff Teague, though. That that that's a move that I look back on and think why. Yeah, and Rubio's yeah, had a really good right. year, so you know, and Teague's not been completely terrible but he certainly hasn't he's not as good a point guard as Ricky Rubio at least in my view no yeah that's a good question it's a fair question and you know Rubio got himself up to 35% three-point shooting this year as well how he did that we'll never know but it's the highest of his career this season so he's developed a a credible let's call it credible outside (laughs) shot no it is 35% is credible right at least at least he can get it up right so um Yep. So yeah, the, the Teague move, but yeah, no, there was nothing really. There was no theater in that in that first series. It's just more, I suppose, disappointing. Especially if you're a Wolves fan, it's just disappointing. You want to see, you want to see something, right? And that team on paper at the beginning of the year had a chance to be, you know, we were thinking we we're talking they could have been the three seed and you know, looking really really strong. And they just never developed an identity. I sort of felt. So. Yeah, let's let's see how they come back next year because it's going to be the the same crew back. So yeah, we'll, we'll give them another season. So final question without those days. So we've got it looks as though Cleveland. I'm, I'm going to pencil Cleveland into the NBA finals from here, barring something completely ridiculous happening um, in the Eastern Conference Finals against presumably the Celtics or the Raptors somehow coming back from three 0 down. So do you give? I sort of look at it this way. I think Cleveland can be Houston. I can't see a scenario where they beat Golden State. I just think Golden State are too good for them. It's a horrible matchup. But 
I just get the feeling they could be Houston if they get in the NBA Finals. Do you sort of share that view? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, you... Uh, probably not. I, I don't th- think they no, will. I'll say. I'll say probably not. I, I. You know. You made me think probably harder than I thought I would. Uh, I just as superhuman as he's been. I think LeBron's gonna. He's gonna spend a lot of energy. You know, it's only been. He's probably gonna sweep Toronto. <laughs> he's had to give right, literally greatest of all time performances in in Game Three and in parts of game four just to get them over the line, right? Mm. So I just think then he's going to have to go through probably, right, the best defensive team in the league. So Boston's not going to be easy. They'll win. I think Cleveland will win that series, right? But that's going to be hard, right? As hard as as Al Horford has been defending and, you know, the energy that they give and the, just the consistency they give, that's going to take – that'll go six games at least, Right, I think Boston win games, and oh, I don't that's think Boston not will win games in that series. I do, I do, yeah, I, I do, because I, I go what what you're seeing, right? The victories here are super superhuman LeBron and and optimized Kevin Love. So they're, at some point, they're going to have to get consistent contributions from Jeff Green, Tristan Thompson, right? Something they're going to have to get more consistency from players, you know, three through eight. And it's a fucking crapshoot on any given night. So, so that just—I think that Houston's just too, too. No, I, I don't. I don't think. I think it'd be fun and probably more interesting than than uh, Golden State versus Cleveland Part Four. But no, I'd pick Houston, I, but I just—I would give—I give Cleveland a much better chance. A much better chance against Houston than, but, than Golden State. You so see, why, why I don't write is just that uh, when Houston gets going, C- Cleveland could start to lose interest in their pace and intensity playing defense. You get enough, get enough of that ball flying around, and if Harden's doing this, doing the flop, and the threes are going in, and Cleveland gets behind game after game, I just. I just think it would be too many mountains because what's going to happen most likely, right, is you're going to see Houston come out to a lead and can LeBron climb the mountain every single game. That's what I just don't see. I just don't see his – he's going to run out of gas is what I'm saying. He's going to run out of gas and he's going to run out of – he's got no teammates, I think, to help him. Unless Kevin Love keeps going for, you know, 30 and 13, you know, three more weeks. But mm. – well, he very nearly ran out of gas against Indiana. He had to go off for cramps in that game. That was another thing that That's happened right. in Game Seven. I didn't even right. touch on earlier, and that that was the key moment because he went off for a few minutes, and Indiana just went totally away from their game plan. Uh, they just shot some terrible, terrible shots uh, in that little. It was only four or five possessions as it turned out because it went across quarters, but uh, Cleveland ended up going on like a nine-two run in that. Point. And that that was essentially what what uh, bought him the game. So I hear yeah. you. I, I think I think you're probably right there. But I just think the matchup is a little bit better, and I could see, you know, Houston just the, that that sort of ISO ball. And I understand that they can put people in pick and rolls and um and, and get the matchups that they yeah, want. Yeah, look, I guess now that you just make me just on that point, you're right. The way I've seen that you see a really really engaged Cleveland team. We've got George Hill and. 
um, Rodney Hood and J.R. Smith. They could be credible, you know, on-ball defenders and, and break some things up and maybe change the rhythm of and disrupt some of the things that Houston's doing offensively. So, I, yeah. Well, I think I the way when... Cleveland defend, they won't handle what Golden State do. But the way they defend, I think they can handle because they've got individually guys that can engage from time to time at least. And when yeah. you're just doing yeah. that pick and roll ISO stuff, you know, you're not always going to be running downhill towards the basket. I think you need to play yeah. at a faster pace. A fast paced game hurts Cleveland more. Houston play at the slowest pace in the league. I think that's going to play into Cleveland's hands defensively. And then offensively, they don't have anyone that can stop LeBron. PJ Tucker was supposed to be the LeBron stop that went to Toronto last year and he failed miserably. OG Ananobi's done a better job this year. So I, yeah. I don't see them stopping or slowing down LeBron too much either, Daz. So, but anyway, yeah, that, that's that's something we'll we'll kick it down the road to next week, Daz. We'll um, obviously, hopefully, we'll have some Western. Well, certainly, we'll have some Western Conference um, and Eastern Conference Finals previews. Then we might have a game or two in the books. Who knows uh, how quickly these other series might get might get wrapped up? But uh, happy to leave it there, Daz, and we'll we'll see what the the next week brings us in the NBA. But the two um, Western Conference game fours tomorrow, so I might, yep, I might just as as I bagged them up, I have I might take a peek tomorrow, have a look at that, and maybe we should go through the. Hopefully, got some coaching decisions. I think Milwaukee and Charlotte are getting fairly close to some finalists in the in their searches. So if we get a bit of a lull, we got some got some coaching news maybe to go through. Yeah, I think Charlotte is down to the second interviews. They've got uh, James Borrego, the uh, Spurs assistant, and they've also got one of the Celtics assistants. Uh, so that that's down to a, a competition in two, and we've seen Phoenix have hired um, the Utah assistant, whose name escapes me from Slovenia, uh, and Fisdale is at the Knicks. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So we've had a couple um, couple of jobs go. And Larry Yaga, this um, Brad Stevens top. Larry Yaga actually interviewed for the job of. Uh, that Stephen Scott, so he he thought he might be a candidate after Doc Rivers left. He's a bit, he was a bit too young then, so he's got a great great coaching pedigree. Uh, this this guy, so um, yeah, sounds like the Charlotte's seem to be doing a pretty good job here. Two really really well respected top assistants, so mm. seems to be you know starting on the right foot there with Mitch Kupchak. So we'll see. Okay, okay Des, no worries. Good to talk to you again, mate. And we'll we'll touch base again next week. See you, buddy. Thanks, mate. Bye.